We're in our series Evangelism for the Fainthearted, and you have almost endured to the end. We are almost finished with it. In fact, uh, we will uh, we'll have today and then the abbreviated time next Sunday, and then that's it. Because two weeks from today, two weeks from today, uh, I will have I'll be teaching our three week newcomers orientation. And so I'll be in another room with those who want to be a part of our newcomers orientation on March 29, April 5 and April 12. In here, then one of our guys will be taking my place for those three weeks. And then the following week, April 19th, we'll start a new series in here for which we're sending out mailers to the community. And it's called Managing Our Money God's Way. So it's about the topic of finances. It's using a different curriculum than when the one we used a, a few years ago uh, to have a workbook uh, to go with it. And for those that you bring as guests, they'll get the workbook for free. For you, it costs you what it costs, what it costs us. But it's a, it's a good workbook. comes with a CD, actually, of materials for you as well. So I think it'll be a profitable eight-week series for us starting April the 19th. So for those three weeks, March 29, April 5, and April 12, I'll have the newcomers. And Zach Hamilton will be leading a group of young marrieds. If you're in the young married category, uh, that's like 20 to 29, then that class is for, for you. And Zach and Lena are going to be leading a three-week class for young marrieds during that same time period in a separate part of the building. And then in the summer, that group is going to meet together for a good part of the summer as well. So that's the way we do our demographic classes. We have breakouts every now and then to discuss issues important to that particular uh, uh, demographic. And then sometimes they meet for a, a prolonged period as well. So if you're in that young married category, then just bear that in mind. Uh, starting in two weeks, you'll have your own class for a three week duration. Evangelism for the fainthearted is, uh, as the name suggests, is been designed to try to help those of us who are all fainthearted at times in giving the gospel to have more courage and more confidence in engaging in that most important task of telling people about Jesus Christ and the good news associated with them. In order to do that, we have to understand a number of basic things that I've been trying to pound home over these last many weeks. The first is this. Jesus is the only bridge between people and God. And that's what makes it so important, then, that people be told about Jesus. He is the only bridge between people and God. The second thing is, though, that we are the bridge between uh, people and Jesus. That means that if we're going to introduce people to this only bridge between themselves and God, namely Jesus, and we are the bridge between them and Jesus, then we're going to have to make connections with those people. We are going to have to bridge the gap between where we are and where they are. And over these many weeks, we've looked at the fact that there are differences in where we are and where they are. Of necessity, there are differences. As a matter of fact, if there are no differences, then that means we've got a problem. Uh, because we're not growing in the Lord. We're not being set apart, as the, the, the way the Bible describes it, from the world and to God. That's a process that began when you came to Jesus. So that you are still, in Jesus' words in John 17, in the world, but you're no longer of the world. Because you are no longer of the world, it means your values, your desires, are no longer derived from the world. Rather, they're derived from God, and the Bible is replete with examples of the world and God being in opposition to each other. And so, if you are, if you've been called out of the world and to God, you are now 
marching to the beat of a different drummer. And that results in differences in your life, observable differences in your life. You have a different priority scheme. You, you know, you, you prioritize churchy sorts of stuff, you know, and, and you care about that. You know, people are going to get baptized and you care about that. And you're, you're willing to bring food for something like that. And you're thinking of ways to try to introduce people to Jesus because your perspective has been radically altered by coming to Christ. Jesus is the only is the only bridge between people and God. But we're the bridge between those people and Jesus. And yet we've been called out of the world into God. And so there are these differences that need to be bridged between them and us. There are these obstacles that exist between where they are and where we are that must be overcome. Well, if you focus only on the obstacles, you have a different priority scheme and different desires and values. If you if you only focus on that, then you'll make absolutely no headway with the people that you're trying to reach. But there's good news. There's not only the obstacles, but there are also the commonalities that you have with the people you're trying to reach. And we've gone over a number of those. We're made in the image of God. And so we all have uh, what I call a God awareness. Everybody does. You can talk about God. You can say when they tell you I'm having surgery next weekend, can I pray for you about that? And I meet with a group of weird religious types on Sunday nights and they pray. Can they pray for you, too? And they'll say, yeah, I mean, whatever, you, you know, spirituality's in these days. If you've got a bunch of weird religious types, have them pray for me. Can't hurt. But you can talk about that. and They'll know they'll know what you're talking about. They'll know that there's a God and they know that there's this thing called called prayer. And so. The good news is there are these commonalities, one of which is we're made in the image of God. But also we live in a fallen world and we experience many of the difficulties of a fall, living in a fallen world. And so we have trouble with our finances and our health and our and our relationships. But it's not just the difficulties of a fallen world, but some of the pleasures of living in God's good world. And so some of our leisure activities and some of the uh, act, things we like, recreational things we like to engage in, we can have in common. And we can talk about those. We live at the same time in the same place. So we have contemporary news items that affect them and affect us about which we can talk. So instead of focusing on all of the differences, if you're going to make a connection between those people that you're trying to introduce to Jesus, then you focus on these many areas of commonality. And as you do that, you seek to engage them in conversation. In conversation, just regular, natural conversation, not a canned pitch, but regular conversation into which you can interject the components of the gospel. Regular conversation interjecting the components of the gospel. What are the components of the gospel? Are there 400 of them? Are there a dozen of them? There are four, you know. There's who God is. There's who we are in relation to God. There's who Christ is, and there's what Christ has done to restore our relationship with God. Those four things. Now, they're a mouthful. You know, who is God? Well, there's plenty to be said about that. But, you know, you just start at the beginning. God's the creator. Start where the Bible does. He made us. We didn't make him. We're made in his image, not he and ours. Therefore, he has authority. Therefore, we were made for his purposes, not not ours. And, and on it goes. You know, what relationship do we have to this God? You guys know that. Well, we are his children in the sense that we are all created by him, but we're not in his family. We are prodigal children, as it as it were, because we have left him. 
by virtue of our sin, every last person. And so we don't have a relationship, spiritual relationship with God. That's who we are in relationship to him. That's the problem that needs to be solved. Who is inter Christ, God and man, who can then bridge the gap that exists between both. Offering a perfect sacrifice as man for man to God. And then uh, and, and then uh, we can receive the gift, that sacrifice he offers in salvation. That's where we want to get them to. Talk about those components as we have conversation about our commonalities. And so we've talked about how to do that. You know, we're talking about our finances. And the person's saying, you know, my outgo is more than my inflow. And you say, tell me about it. Right. And, you know, I have difficulty with it, too. And my wife and I are trying to make ends meet ourselves in a tough economy. Don't know if I'm going to lose my job and all that. But here's what I try to remind myself. You say to your friend, I try to remind myself, you know, that. That God owns everything. Now, you've just given them one of the components, haven't you? In an area of commonality, and you have planted a seed. You haven't tried to go for the home run. You haven't tried to close the deal. You haven't said, okay, now that you know that, let's pray the prayer. All right? If you died tonight, you know, you haven't said any of that. You're just having conversation in the com- about the common areas that we, that we enjoy with uh, everybody. And you're interjecting, planting seeds of the of the gospel along the way. My kids, I'm having trouble with my kids. You know, I've had trouble with my kids as well. I try to remember, you know, that God made this child and he knows this child better than I do. And, you know, I go to the book, you know, I go to the book and I see what the book has to say about children and about me and about the way fathers and mothers can really mess things up and what we need to do in order to move a child in the right direction. You're just that's what I have to do. And all of that, what are you doing? You're admitting that you're a sinner, aren't you? You're admitting that you struggle too. And that's a lot better, isn't it? Isn't that a lot better than what we usually do? What we usually spend our time doing is trying to show them how much better we are than they are. Whereas if you do this, you're showing them, look, I I am in the real down and dirty of life. I really am a sinner as well in need of God's grace. But God's grace, thankfully, has been applied to all of these areas, finances and health and and so on. That means, then, that you can do things like in your natural conversation with this person with whom you have things in common and to whom you're trying to relate the components of the gospel. You can do things like give them your testimony. And your testimony is not just one testimony. It's not just when I was six, I came forward at the end of the service. They took me in a side room. We prayed the prayer and I got saved. That that would be your salvation testimony. But I pointed out last week that you have a number of plural sanctification testimonies, or at least you should. Things that Jesus has done in his grace to work in your life. To help you with all sorts of these areas that you have in common with this person you're talking to. So, I used to blow up at my kids. I used to just have a short fuse and I, would, I had an anger problem. I still do it sometimes, you say. But Jesus has helped me with that. Or, I had some addiction, perhaps. And I know that it's going to be a struggle till the day I die. But Jesus has, has helped me with that. And, and you know, somebody says that, you're, you got helped with that sort of stuff? 
Now you're relating these things you have in common to these components of the gospel. Now, where do we see that in Scripture? That Jesus helps us. That the grace of God helps sinners like us with that kind of stuff. I asked you to turn to Titus chapter 2. And here's what verse 11 of Titus 2 says. For the grace of God that brings salvation has appeared to all men. It teaches us, verse 12, to say no to ungodliness and worldly passions. And it teaches us to live self-controlled, upright and godly lives in this present age. Now, what does the grace of God function to do according to this passage? Well, it has a negative function and a positive function. The negative is it, it teaches us to say no to certain things. But the positive function is it's not just what we no longer do. It's now what we positively do. The grace of God teaches us to both negatively say no to things that we used to do and to then pursue other things in their in their place. So it has a negative and a positive side to it. Now, here's the uh, there's a lot of important things about that passage, but here's one of the most important. That when verse 12 says it teaches us. That's what verse 12 says, isn't it? It teaches us. Um, when it says it teaches us right at the beginning of verse 12. To say no, it is not saying it commands us just say no. Now, if that's what the grace of God did, then it would just be here's your list. Follow it. Don't do that. Do this. And that's usually the way we think. That's usually the way we think, isn't it? The Bible is a big book with a bunch of stuff that you do and you don't do. And it does have a number, a number of examples of commands of things that we do and things we don't do. But it is all couched in a story of God's grace that enables us to no longer do those things and pursue the things we should. And without that, it is not Christian. Hear this. It's not Christian. It's not the gospel at all. If, if people get the idea that what you're about and what we're about is a list of things you don't do and another list of things you do, then they don't need Jesus at all. Right? Isn't that what every religion is? A list of stuff you do? And come to us because our list is better than your list? You could be a Muslim if you're only interested in a list. You could still be in the Old Testament. And believing that, like the Pharisees do, I'm justified by the law. Jesus makes a huge difference, to put it mildly. And so when it says in verse 12, it, the grace of God, teaches us. I want you to notice what it's not saying, and then I'll try to make the contrast as clear as I can. It does not say that the grace of God commands us to say no. And then in turn to say yes. That's not what it says. It says the grace of God teaches us 
And that's different. The word for teaches in verse 12 is the Greek word paideia. And it refers to a process through which we learn to say no and to pursue better things. It's not just a command, do this. The grace of God is a process, a paideia process, teaching us to say no and to pursue self-control, upright, godly lives. Now, what's paideia mean? What's this process thing mean? Well, maybe it'll help to know this. That the Bible uses that word, paideia, a number of places. One of which you're all familiar with. Ephesians chapter 6, verse 4. Ephesians 6, 4 says, Fathers, do not exasperate your children, but bring them up in the training, paideia, of the Lord. So this word, it teaches us in Titus chapter 2 and verse 12, it teaches us to say no, is the same word in Ephesians 6, 4 for us training our kids in the training and, and instruction of the Lord. Same process, same word for the process that involves training. So you don't tell your kid just. No. Now, there are things you tell your kid you don't do, right? But that's not all you do with your kid, is it? Uh, let me, maybe, I shouldn't assume anything. That shouldn't be all you do with your kid, should it? You tell them to say no. God tells us. You've got commands. Don't do this, for sure. We warn them, don't stick the fork in the electrical socket. Don't do that. That's a rule. And if you do, I'm going to grab your hand, I'm going to smack it, and it's going to hurt, but it'll hurt less than you getting shocked, okay? So we say, no, don't do things. It's going to be harmful to you. God tells us that as well, but that's not all he does. God does not do the old drug program. The old drug program, I don't think they have it anymore, the government, just say what? Just say no. Not that I'm against that. I think it would be great for a lot of people to say no to a lot of things that they're currently saying yes to. But the point is, that's not all God does. He does that, but he does more than that. He paideas us. It's a process of training us to say no. And that process involves a lot of things, doesn't it? I mean, did you just, did you just, you know, I hear these testimonies of people that just say, you know, I just, you know, when I, when I came to Jesus, you know, just everything was different. And it's been easy street since then. Well, okay. <laughs> Don't tell anybody in our church, okay? Because none of us are in that situation. It'll just make us all feel really lousy, okay? Because that's not, that's not the normal process. It wasn't the normal process for Paul. You know, so I feel like I'm in decent company. I'm not in the same company with some of the, you know, super saints giving their testimony on television, but I'm in the same company of super saint Paul. And I'm good with that. Who says the things I want to do, I don't do. And the things I don't want to do, I still do. Who shall deliver me from this body of death? But then concludes, thanks be to God who gives us the victory through our Lord Jesus Christ. So it's, it's a process. Paul was in that process. I'm in that process. You're in that process. 
We haven't arrived. And so when I give my sanctification testimony, I should have all sorts of things that the grace of God is teaching me through all of the means of grace that God affords us. The word of God, the people of God, the spirit of God, prayer, spiritual disciplines. God has given us all sorts of of tools, means of grace in order for us to be taught in this process that teaches us to say no and then to pursue self-controlled, upright and godly lives in a fallen world. And so you should have, I should have a number of sanctification testimonies where the Lord is doing that. You know, I used to I used to just haul off and just had a real out of control problem with whatever. And, and that's why I keep adding, and I still struggle with it. Doesn't mean it, it never rears its ugly head. Doesn't mean I've arrived. But here's what the grace of God has taught me through His Word and through the examples of other people with whom I'm in relationship. And through praying and asking Him to help me and depending upon Him to help me with this. The grace of God has taught me this. Now, you just need to stop for a second and ask yourself, do you have areas of your life where you can say that? This is what Jesus has taught me. I can see from this year, March 15, 2009, compared to March 15 of 08, there's been tangible growth in my life. I'm not the same as I was last year. And next year, I hope to not be the same as I was this year. I'm growing in the Lord. I didn't just take one full leap. I'm just growing in increments in the Lord. That's the normal. That's the normal Christian life. And if you're living the normal Christian life and you're going to a church that teaches that process of sanctification. And you are. We don't teach the flash of light approach to sanctification. We don't teach the camp decision approach to sanctification. You all know what I mean by that? You know, I threw the stick in the fire and we've never had a problem since. No, you didn't. I mean, you stuck the stick in the fire, but it didn't happen that way. In just one big flash, one moment of laying it all on the altar. But that's the way many of us have sort of grown up, you know. The truth is different. The truth is it's a process. And the great news is the grace of God brings us along in that process. That's the normal Christian life. And you and I should be able to testify to people of the normal Christian life and its process and the graces of God to me and to you in those areas in the regular stuff of life. So you're not holier than thou. You're still struggling. You're still in process. And you're simply testifying to people that it's the grace of God through Jesus Christ that's at work in my life and that has taught me this. And I'm still trying to learn some other stuff that I hope to learn this next year. But this is what he's taught me so far. You do that. And would you guys agree that then now you're getting people's attention? Because there really are tangible, practical effects of this Christian life thing where you live every day, Monday through Saturday. 
you are communicating to that person that you are more than just a religious nut who spends a lot of time at church. You're more than that. I'm a mother who's trying to rear my children. I'm a wife who's trying to support my husband. I'm a husband who's trying to lead my family. I'm a human being who has, who has needs and frailties and sinful tendencies just like you do. And the difference is not I'm better than you. The difference is I'm better off than you. That's a profound difference. I'm not better than you. But if you ask me what the difference is, I am better off. And here's how I'm better off. Because I have a relationship with this God of grace whose grace is teaching me to say no. I haven't said no completely. It's teaching. It's a process. And positively to pursue some things. To pursue self-control and righteousness, live self-controlled, upright, righteous lives and godly lives in this present age. That's what it says in verse 12, right? So it's teaching me to do those things. And just quickly, those three things each have a directional dimension to them. Self-control, an inward dimension. The grace of God is teaching me to control my emotions and my thinking. In a a controlled way. It's now controlled by the Spirit of God and the Word of God. Not all over the place, not not pursuing whatever I feel like doing. My emotions, my thinking, are now controlled. And what are they controlled by? The Spirit of God and the Word of God. How do I know this? Ephesians 5.18 Do not be drunk with wine, wherein is excess... That is, don't give yourself to something that is going to control you. Do not be drunk with wine, but be what? Do you remember what the opposite is? Is to be filled, controlled by the Spirit. And then you look at the parallel passage, the passage just exactly like it, where it talks about teaching and admonishing one another in psalms and hymns and spiritual songs. That's what Ephesians 5 says. And then it tells us, be, and tells us to be filled with the Spirit just prior to that. Colossians chapter 3 and verse 16 does the same thing. Teach and admonish one another in psalms and hymns and spiritual songs. But instead of just before that saying, be filled with the Spirit, here's what it says. Let the Word of Christ dwell in you richly. So we're now leading self-controlled lives. Controlled by what? No longer controlled by our emotions and worldly thinking. We're controlled by the Spirit of God and the Word of God. That's what the grace of God is in the process of teaching me and teaching you. And I can tell people about that. And then it has a second dimension. That's the inward dimension. But it teaches us to pursue, to live self-controlled. And then it says upright lives. And that's an outward dimension. The inward dimension is the way I'm now controlling my thinking and my feeling By the Spirit of God and the Word of God, the outward dimension, upright, righteous lives, is how I live, how I behave. The the grace of God is teaching me to act different. So there there should be a visible difference in the way I live now 
from when I first came to Jesus. And I like the year-to-year thing. You can do a week-to-week if you want evaluation. That's not enough time for me. I'm a slow learner. So I like to do a year-to-year, you know. But I've been, I've been saved since I was 19. And I'll be 47 soon. And so whatever the math is on that. What is it? 27? Is that what it is? 28 years? Okay. So what I don't want is one year of growth 28 times. What I want is 28 years of growth. And if God gives me another 30 years, I want another 30 years of growth in Him. And, and, it sh- and I want it to show in the way I live, in my outward behavior, righteous behavior, in the way I talk, in the things I do, but it's a process that the grace of God is teaching me. And then the third one, there's an inward dimension, there's an outward dimension. The grace of God is teaching us to say no to worldly passions, but to live self-controlled, upright, and then thirdly, godly lives, which is the upward dimension. There's an inward dimension, an outward dimension, there's an upward dimension to this change that the grace of God is making in our lives. Well, how does that show itself? Well, that's where we, you know, the, the religious nut part comes in. So, yeah, I, I do. I, I have devotions and I mean devotions, meaning activities I'm devoted to things I'm devoted to. Like coming to church. And worshiping God. And being with God's people and learning of him. Why? Because there's this upward dimension. My life is not to just be changed in terms of its behavior and its and its and its vocabulary, but it's to be changed for a purpose, a Godward purpose to bring glory to God. And so the grace of God is teaching me in this process that life is really not ultimately about me. It's about the one who made me. And my life is becoming increasingly devoted to him. And it shows itself in these rights. It shows itself in these habits. It shows itself in these disciplines that I have that are directed Godward. And increasingly, I find, as I become more aware of that, that everything in life is is ultimately directed Godward, upward. Well, that's shaping them, the way I talk. That's shaping the, the, the way I go about my routines. And it's coming out when I talk to this person, this unbeliever that I'm trying to reach. You know, I, I, I say things this way now. I want to be, you're at work with somebody and, and we both want to be successful in your work. But every now and then you're able to drop this seed where you can truly say, you know, the reason I want to be successful is for a, a larger eternal purpose. It's not just for the here and now. I'm not just living for the here and now. Now, you, you, you might have the same goal. We both want to get a promotion. But because you are being taught by the grace of God to live this upward dimension, this godly life, Godward life, your purpose for doing the same thing is now different. And every now and then you communicate that. And so you've got the grace of God going on in your life. It should be going on all the time. Am I right about this? 
that you can communicate in your sanctification testimony through these natural conversations where you're introducing these the components of the gospel into the commonalities that you share with your unbelieving, unbelieving friends. Let me give you a few other few other suggestions in our remaining time about evangelizing them, those that God brings into our circle of influence. We're trying to do this through a natural process, not a canned process, where we do what I've been talking about, bring the components of the gospel to bear on these common areas of, of life. One way to do that is to give these varied testimonies of how the grace of God has taught you, what Jesus has done in your life. But here's some other suggestions. One, or, or another suggestion, in addition to those I've been giving you over the last few weeks, is do this with a, as wide an audience as possible. Talk to people about this stuff as widely as possible. Now, why do I say that? Do you guys remember the parable of the sower? Do you remember what the sower was doing? He was throwing out seed. Where was he throwing out seed? It's all over the place. Okay? Now, to be sure, it falls on all sorts of ground. But the sower is tossing out some serious seed all over the place. So what he doesn't do is what, let's be honest, what we sometimes do. And that, guy will never, that guy will never come to Jesus. There's no hope for that guy. Let me go to talk to somebody who looks like more fertile ground. Right? So I heard one guy say, you know, if you see an elderly lady sitting on a bench with a cane next to her, and behind her is this guy who looks like he's a linebacker for an NFL team, but he got cut. And he's really angry at life. And he's leaning against the wall. Which one do you want to go talk to about Jesus? Right? And we, and we make those sort of evaluations. And so I've got, my, I've got my list of three people that I'm, trying to, that I'm trying to win. And sometimes I've picked this list of three people because they look winnable. Well, get this. There is no such thing as winnable in God's... In God's uh, viewpoint. And so we, we do this as wide, widely as we can. Anybody that God brings into our circle of influence, we want to see if God will give us an opportunity to plant seeds for the gospel through this process of natural, natural uh, conversation. Now, doing it as widely as possible assumes some things. One, it assumes that we are optimistic about the power of the gospel. And so instead of me having to pick out people that I think are, are ripe for the gospel or might be more receptive, the, I have op, optimism that the gospel can penetrate any heart. And anybody that God brings into my circle, then I want to be used of God to speak to, plant seeds for Jesus Christ, who is the bridge between themselves and God. Now, one of the reasons we get this idea that, you know, instead of just throwing the seed out there as much as I can, I need to pick a few out. It's kind of like, you know, having, uh, instead of throwing the seed out there, I've got five pots outside my window. And I sort of plant in those every now and then. Now, it's good to have those five people that you're trying to do that with. But determined to spread the gospel as widely as possible. Optimistic about its power. Here's one of the reasons, though, I think we do that. Many of us grew up hearing that Jesus has called us to be fishers of 
fishers of men. In fact, when we were kids, some of us would sing a song and we would do the motions, being fishers of men, and you're casting the line out there. Here's the problem with that. In the Bible, those guys didn't have fishing poles. Those guys are not, those guys are not hooking one fish. How many fish are, those, are they bringing in? They're sticking the net out there. We've got this idea that I'm the fisherman out there and I'm out there, you know, yanking in one at, one at a time. The fisher of men illustration is there, there's these nets and they cast the nets out there and there are all sorts of fish that come in. So you throw the net out there, you throw the seed out there and you see what it is God does with it. Look, I'm somebody who believes, perhaps you've caught this in your time with us, I'm somebody who believes the Bible absolutely teaches that not a leaf falls to the ground except it be by the will and plan of our Father in Heaven. Nothing happens apart from His plan. And that includes who is going to come to Him ultimately. He knows that. He knows all of that. And so you might think that that would cause me to be discriminant in the way I go about giving the gospel. But au contraire. Because the truth of the matter is, I have no idea who those people are. And there's only one way to find out. Stick the net out there. Throw the seed out there. And that's how you know who those people are, that the Lord is calling out of the world and to himself. And so I heard one preacher say this. Yes, it is the elect that are going to come to Jesus. But I find the more I give the gospel, the more elect there seem to be. The more I give the gospel, the more I cast the net, the more I throw out the seed. Amazingly, the more of these people there seem to be to respond to it. So, so wide, widely. And then one last, I've got time, three minutes for one last suggestion to you. Is that you pray to be used in the lives of people that God is bringing to himself. Pray to be used in the lives of people that God is bringing to himself. Who are those people? Who's that potential group of people? Everybody you come in contact with. Everybody that you get an opportunity to plant a seed with, to give the gospel to, through the process we're talking about. But pray that God will give you the opportunity to be used to bring those people to Jesus in whose lives he's working. Now, I was going to turn to Colossians 4, but we don't have time. We'll do it next week in our final week together on this. But Colossians 4, verses 2 through 6, which is a evangelism context. It's telling believers how to behave toward unbelievers. And the very first thing it says is, be watchful and to be prayerful. And then tells us how we're to go about behaving, being careful how we behave toward outsiders. And always letting your conversation be tempered with, with grace so that it may benefit those who, those who hear. So it's in an evangelist, evangelism context, but the first thing it says is be watchful and to be prayerful. Praying for opportunities to walk through, Colossians 4 says, the doors that God opens for you. All right, we'll discuss that further next week. Let's bow before the Lord and thank him for our time, okay? Lord Jesus Christ, we thank you for the blessings of this day. Lord, thank you for allowing us the freedom and the health 
and giving us the desire to sing praise to you. Thank you, Lord, for bringing brothers and sisters who have been changed by you and who have that same desire and who are therefore here and enjoyed the privilege of worshiping you. And we pray, Lord, that you are pleased with our with our worship. We give it to you as a sacrifice of praise. And Lord, we thank you for this time, the opportunity to review this awesome task that you have given us to be your ambassadors into your world, introducing people to Jesus, who alone is the bridge between people and the God who made them. Thank you for allowing us to do that and and help us, Lord, to be wise in the way we go about it. Help us to be circumspect in the way we live before those who need the Savior. But, Lord, help us to be willing to put ourselves out there and to give the gospel widely, to throw the seed out there indiscriminately, to see who it is that you are calling out of the world and to yourself. And help us this week, Lord, to actively and joyfully engage in the gracious work of sanctification that you're doing in our lives. Lord, your grace is teaching me. It's teaching us to say no. And it's teaching us, Lord, to positively pursue self-controlled, upright, and godly lives in this present age. Lord, we ask you to have that process continue in us this week. Help us even in small ways, Lord, to be more conformed to the image of Jesus next Lord's Day than this. We ask for your protection, your safety, and the joy that only you can give as we go. In the name of Jesus, we pray. Amen.